Welcome to the Blue Collar Creator Podcast. I am your host, Steve Brewster. So glad to have you with us today. Today, we're going to have a little snippet from a conference that I got to speak at, the Overflow Conference. If you haven't been to the Overflow Conference, you need to plan on being there next year. Uh, It's in February in Detroit. There's nothing more tropical than February and Detroit together. So make plans right now to be at Overflow next year. This is a snippet from this year where I got to do a breakout session talking about leadership and talking about leading when we don't know what it, what's next. And I think we can all say that in the last year, we've probably gone through some seasons where we didn't know what was next. We didn't know what normal looked like. Well, the truth is we shouldn't care about normal. So I hope you enjoy this episode. If you have any questions, you have any notes, don't hesitate to reach out. And always subscribe, share, like, comment, all the things that we need to do to make the podcast a little bit more known and a little bit more accessible to others. Sit back, relax. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Awesome. Thanks for coming, guys. It's uh, it's always like one of the most stressful things when you're about to like do a session at a conference because you're like, I think three people are going to show up and it's going to be like super awkward and I'm going to be in the front. And then because there's like recording, there's a microphone. So I have to stay in the front. So like even though with the three people, we'd have to like put our chairs around the microphone. It would just be awkward. Right. So so thank you guys for coming. It means a lot that you're here. Um. Uh, like Susan said, I'm, my parents are missionaries. I grew up around the world. Um, never had any aspirations to go into the family business. And um, uh, when I was in college, I, I fell in love with, with, I fell in love with like music when I was really young. Um, and I really like, God's played a big trick on me my entire life. I love hip hop music. And so I grew up loving hip hop music. And then, um, then in 1996, I dropped out of college with one semester to go and moved to Nashville, which my parents thought was a brilliant idea. And, um, and uh, I got to Nashville and literally every job that God gave me, and he was so, so kind. I got like, to have a really fun career in the music business and do all kinds of fun stuff. But every time I would get a job in the music business, I'd be working with worship artists, not hip hop artists. And I was like, God, can you just not like, like one rapper, just let me have one rapper. Uh, and so, so um, then I actually left the music business to work in a local church. And I got to do that for several years. And our church like exploded over the course of like seven years. And we went from like 2000 people a weekend to like 8,000. It, it was nuts. And then a couple of years ago, um, I started to, to do two things. So uh, my wife and I own our own business She's an author and she wrote, just wrote a book called Hearing God Speak. And it's a uh, 52-week devotional based on the Enneagram. And so she's a certified Enneagram coach. And she took, I don't know if you guys have ever had this before, but for me, when I read a devotional, one day you might read the devotional and you're like, oh man, that's amazing. Like that just hits me right where I'm at. And then the next day you read the devotional and you're like, eh, that just didn't really. She took 52 verses and wrote it based on how each personality type would hear that verse. And so it's a, it's a beautiful book. It's, it's full color and like, it's amazing. So if you are into the Enneagram or into Jesus, you should probably go get that book. Um, and you can get it on Amazon. It's called hearing God speak. Um, and then, so she does that. And then I, uh, I get to help churches release music. And so that's like the predominant thing that I do right now. I help churches that are releasing music, navigate the music business because Every church should be releasing music, but not every church should be in the music business. And so I help 
pastors and worship leaders stay focused on the things that they should do, not the things that they shouldn't. And then I also help churches develop culture, leadership, values, creative departments, creative teams, all that kind of fun stuff. So that's what we get to do. And today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, about leadership and what it's like to wait for normal. How many of you would say that the last 12 months have been completely normal? <laughs> Good, we're all on the same page then, right? There's really been nothing normal about what the last 12 months have been. Uh, but that should actually probably not be super surprising because um, we are at a creative conference and tomorrow we'll talk about how we are all creative. I'm not going to convince you today. I'll wait till tomorrow to convince you that. But we serve a God who's creative. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this before, but as someone who loves the creative and, and considers myself creative, the last thing I ever really want is normal, right? Like normal's a little bit boring. And it's so funny to me to watch, we've watched for the last 12 months, people like pine for the, for normal to come back. Right. And I'm like, why would we want normal to come back? We shouldn't want normal. And what's really interesting. And I'm going to go between, so I'm not reading texts. If I pull up my phone, it's, this is where I, my Bible app is. And so I have to read it off of here, but um, first Peter two, nine says the King James version says, but ye are a chosen generation, a Royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. None of that sounds normal to me, okay? I don't know, maybe it does to you. Maybe you like walk around your house like, I'm a royal priesthood. Like, that's how I roll. <laughs> if you do, that's what's up. Like, let's talk afterwards because I need a little bit of you in my life. Like, um, but peculiar people probably don't do well with normal, Right? And as leaders, if we're trying to lead and we're leading not just organizations, but we're leading with a kingdom mindset, the last thing that we should really ever look for is normal. In fact, it should be, we should be offensively attacking normal. Okay. So now that you guys all got tricked to coming to a class about learning how to get back to normal, we're going to talk about how to not be normal. Okay. Uh, the other thing that is pretty interesting to me is that the opposite of normal, well, not the opposite, but another opposite of normal would be new, right? Because if you have something that's normal, it's probably not fresh. It's probably not innovative and it's probably not very new. Um, Isaiah 43, 19 says um, this actually, this, this is the message version. So I have to kind of skip down because you know the message. They forgot to put the numbers in <laughs> everywhere. Super frustrating. Um, uh, but it, it says, um, sorry, I just got lost. Uh, it says that God is doing a new thing. And it says, actually, it says, um, forget about what's happened. Don't keep going over old history. Be alert, be present, I'm about to do something brand new. It's bursting out. Don't you see it? There it is. I'm making a road through the desert, rivers in the badlands, wild animals will say thank you, which that would be dope. 
So, uh, so I think we've established that normal is over. Okay, we're never going back to normal. What we had a year ago, we're never going back to it. For some of us, that's like super innovating, like super exciting. We're like, oh yes, we're never going back. For some of us, we're like, oh, can we just go back or at least take a picture of it and look at it? Um, but, but that's not the way that God designed it, right? And if you actually look over history, you look over biblical history and just human history, there are always moments that when things change, okay? Nothing ever stays the same. It's new seasons after new seasons after new seasons. And a lot of times as leaders, we get trapped in the season and we don't forecast what's coming in the future, right? And so what I want to give you today is what I believe are seven leadership pillars that will help you, um, that will help you kind of lead well in this next season. And the truth is this season is going to change as well. So, you know, we were in the, the pre-COVID season. Then we went in like the panic COVID season. And then we went in the, I just want to go to a restaurant COVID season. <laughs> and now we're in the like, how much can I get away with not wearing my mask season? Right. And so, and then who knows what the next season is? Like, we don't even know. But again, as leaders, our job's not to know always know what's next. It's to lead through what's next, right? So when, when, when trauma happens to people, uh, if you want to flip the slide, too, I'm, I'm going to put my contact info on here. We're going to be really short on time. So this is like, you can text me and I'll give you all the notes from today's session because we're going to go really, really fast. So if you text me, text me your, your email address. I cannot like see your name and be like, hey, I was in your session and understand what your email address is. You actually have to give it to me. Okay, so give me your email address or you can follow me on Instagram and DM me, same thing. But um, three things that, three, three places people run in points of trauma, okay? And this is, this is not biblical. This is actually like psychological. Uh, when, when people experience trauma, they run to faith, knowledge, or innovation. Okay, so for some of you, some of you were, were born and alive when 9-11 happened. Some of you weren't. Those of you who weren't, I'm jealous. Um, just because you're so young and full of life and the rest of us have had some, some miles on us. But uh, when 9-11 happened, every church would do a prayer meeting the week after 9-11 and every church was full. Like I remember, I remember all my friends in church everywhere telling me how full their church was for prayer meetings. Because in points of fear and trauma, people run to faith, right? When COVID happened, we saw the same thing happen, but it happened in a different iteration because people couldn't run to church because we weren't allowed to have them open, but your online experiences were ridiculously huge, right? People run to faith. They run to knowledge. When, when things are bad, we're trying to figure out what we can learn in the moment. How do we learn so that we can navigate and adapt? One of the most beautiful things about how God created us as humans is the gift of adaptation that we have, okay? We are so resilient as people and it's beautiful. And God knew he needed to make us that way because he was gonna make seasons that changed. And so he's such a beautiful designer that he designed us with the ability to adapt even when we didn't know what was gonna happen, 
okay? And then the third thing is innovation or creativity, right? When things go crazy, we want to come up with something new. Now, at the bedrock of what creativity is, it's one of two things, okay? It's an idea or a solution to a problem. So if you have ever made the false statement, I'm not that cre- I'm not creative, I'm going to empower you today to no longer believe that lie. Because if you've ever had an idea or solved a problem, even if it's a Rubik's Cube, you have been creative, okay? So now you're officially part of the creative team and you're allowed to be creative, okay? And so if we know that people run to those three things, we can use those three things a little bit as a GPS in figuring out how do we navigate these seven pillars of creativity, of, of leadership that we need to have, um, have in, our, in our toolbox, okay? So the very first one is in seasons where we don't know what, how to navigate our new normal, because that's really what we're in, right? Old normal died. We're going to accept our new normal, knowing that it's going to change. So in this new season, the first pillar that we need to understand is that we've been called to be the leader. Now, you might say, well, actually, I'm not a leader. And I would say, don't believe that lie either. Because you lead, you may not lead an organization, but you may lead a volunteer team. Or you may lead a kid's classroom on Sundays. Or you may lead your family. Or you may lead your siblings. Or you may just lead yourself. Because at the very core, core there is no such thing as a great leader unless a great leader is able to lead themselves well. So even if you're just leading yourself, here's the first thing that you got to know. You're called to be a leader. You're called to lead. Um, The beauty about this season that we're in right now is God is not surprised by this season. Okay. He actually like knew this was all going to happen. He was not in heaven, chilling with the angels, listening to the baby. And all of a sudden, some apostles came running up like, yo, did you hear about the COVID thing is happening? Nope, that did not happen, okay? He knew it was going to happen. He knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew where your seat in the organization was going to be when it happened. Not only did he know that, he actually positioned you there because he called you to lead through this season. Okay, so if God called you to lead through this season and put you, designed this whole global pandemic for you to be sitting in a seat of influence, you're called to be a leader. Okay, so if you're called to be a leader, that's pillar number one. You you kind of are stuck. Okay, (laughs) and uh, if you're called to be a leader, you have one of two choices. Lead or quit. Okay. And if you quit, you're basically, and this is going to sound super harsh, so have a little grace on me. I woke up early. Uh, If you choose to quit, you're set telling God that his design was probably not good. Because he knew you were going to be in the seat you're in. And if we believe the Bible and then we believe that he's orchestrated our steps, like we believe that when it's like our steps to the ATM machine. But if (laughs) if we're going to believe it in all aspects of our life, then we have to believe that he's orchestrated our steps for this season to be in leadership, to use our influence to help other people. So pillar number one, you're called to be a leader. Okay, pillar number two, um, you have to ask a lot of questions. 
Now, if you're anything like me, when I was a kid, some people told me, oh, you're going to get to be a leader. And I'm like, that's awesome. I'm going to get to be the boss. And the truth is, when you're a leader, you learn very quickly that you have to ask way more questions than you make statements. No one that you've ever followed, did you follow them because they made all the most amazing statements? In fact, usually people who are busy making statements are completely tone deaf to the entire organization, the moment, the problem, whatever it is. Great leaders are asking questions, okay? And if you're gonna ask questions, the reason you're asking questions is because you understand that no one else knows what to do either. So that insecurity that you start to feel as a leader, when you're like, I, I, am I allowed to ask this question because it, is this too basic? Yes, you're allowed to ask that question because the truth is no, no one else knows what to do either. On April whatever last year, if you'd have called the greatest pastors in America, Bishop Jakes, Pastor Stephen Furtick, Craig Rochelle, and asked them, what do we do right now? And when is this going to be over? None of them could have told you. Okay. None of us know the answers. And the truth is most of the time, none of us know the answers. So you have to ask questions to get the right information to lead. Okay. Great leaders understand that asking questions clears the fog. When you don't ask questions, what you do is you make decisions in the fog. No one makes great decisions in the fog. Okay. I suck at driving. I'm like one of the worst drivers in the history of motor vehicles. I don't care. I don't like it. It's boring. I like to text instead. Sometimes I do it at the same time. Don't tell my wife. I know I've tr I'm trying to stop. I'm trying. I'm, listen, I'm being honest. Stop with the shame y'all. Dang. Uh, so, so, so I'm a terrible driver. I'm a lot better driver when I can see what's ahead of me than I am when I can't see what's ahead of me. As a leader, there's a lot of times we can't see what's ahead of us. We ask questions to create clarity so that we can see what's ahead of us. If you're not asking questions, you are probably not really working hard to find clarity. Here are a couple questions that I think will help you, okay? And again, I will send you all these notes if you want them. Uh, the first one is, what do we know? What do we know to be true right now? That's going to help us create what the frame is that we get to, to, to color on. Okay. Um, what could we do next? If we do that, what could happen? And then what do we know that we have to do to be true to who God's called us to be? Okay. So that's four questions I think that are super helpful to get you started. Now, as you become a better leader, you start to ask more questions and more questions, and then you get annoying about how many questions that you ask, but that's because you're actually getting really great at leadership. As, as you start to ask questions, one of the things that you have to remember is that you're never going to make everyone happy. Okay? So as a leader, if you're trying to win the homecoming queen or king, you are not a leader. You are in an, a popularity contest. And that's not great leadership, okay? So great leaders are not worried about how they're going to make everyone feel. They're worried about what is going to move us forward. 
okay? The most basic question that any leader can ask when they are confused about what to do next is, what would a great leader do right now? And if you ask that question and you're honest with yourself, it's probably going to give you a very difficult answer that you didn't want to confront in the first place. And that's why you had to ask yourself that question, right? Because leadership isn't about making everyone happy. It's about making everything better, okay? And you can't make things better. Sometimes making things better actually hurts other people. Not intentionally, not maliciously, but it requires, it requires a strength. Okay. Doing hard things is like one of the leader, one of the qualifications of being a leader is I'm willing to do hard things. Again, if you're leading yourself, if you're going to do hard things, that means you're going to do an extra two burpees every month. Nobody wants to do a burpee, not even one, let alone two extra ones. If you're leading a team, it means you're having the hard conversation with that volunteer who shows up late or doesn't respond to planning center or has a bad attitude. If you're leading a team, it's cutting off gossip the minute that you start to hear it. It's correcting someone's attitude. It's making sure that everyone's aligning to our values. If you're leading an organization, it means adjusting budgets that may cost people jobs in order for the health of the entire organization. The higher you ascend in leadership, the more difficult it gets, the more important it is to ask, what would a great leader do? Okay, it's not easy. So this isn't the feel-good session, unfortunately. Tomorrow's is going to be a lot more feel-good. <laughs> if you guys come back tomorrow, we're going to have so much fun. The other thing that you have to remember when you're asking questions is that this is a season, okay? So the decisions you're making today, are, are, are there's a high probability that those are not forever decisions. Those are for right now decisions, okay? And you have to be willing to be flexible. You have to be willing to be wrong but you have to also be willing to be convicted and, and, and make decisions with conviction, okay? The third pillar, um, oh my gosh, I gotta go so much faster. Okay, the third pillar, empowerment and preparedness are never equal realities. If you're gonna be a great leader and you're gonna lead through things that you don't understand and lead out of normal, you are going to have to empower people to do things before they're ready to do them. The minute that you start empowering people before they're ready, it's going to get really messy. It's going to get sloppy. Balls are going to get dropped. It's not going to meet everybody's standard. And that's beautiful. Because the truth is, somebody empowered you before you were ready. And if you look through the entire history of the Bible, other than Jesus, God called people to do things before they were ready to do them. Okay? If you're waiting for your second, third, fourth best leader to get ready to lead, they're never going to get to lead. And you've now, you have now not stewarded them well. Okay. Because the people that you lead are your responsibility. And if you're not growing them and developing them, you're failing them. And that's, that's really, really tough. And so, and they will end up leaving because somebody else will trust them before they're ready. Now, the funny thing about this is self-aware people never feel like they're ready and they have to be trusted early. Not self-aware people think that they're ready way before they're ready and they're upset that you haven't trusted them already, okay? And so, so as a leader, you have to be able to discern um, when it's time to turn it over, understanding that it's, ne- it's always gonna be earlier than you think it, that is right, okay? 
Um, part of, of empowering people early is that you give trust before they've earned trust. Okay, now that sounds a little bit uh, countercultural, but I think that's actually what the kingdom is, is countercultural. But uh, the truth is, if you've, if you've put someone on your team, whether it's a volunteer, whether it's an employee, whatever it is, if someone has joined your team, you have the responsibility to give them full trust and then let them lose the trust, not let, force them to earn trust before you give trust. Okay, you got to give them all the trust and then let them, let them lose it. And then if they lose it, you're going to have the same grace that you hope some leader had on you at one time in your life, that you're going to coach them through it to get better and get that trust back. Okay. Uh, the other part of empowerment before preparedness is you have to trust yourself. Because the truth is most of us go to bed at night thinking, I don't think I'm ready for this job. <laughs> right? Like, I don't know the answer. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. And if you're going, it sounds awesome to be like, you got to trust somebody else before they're ready. And that you got to trust you first. It doesn't mean you always know that you've made the right answer, but you're trusting what you've learned, what God's brought you through and what God's called you to. Okay. And so if you're not trusting yourself, it's gonna be very, very difficult for you to trust someone else. And if you've realized, if you realize I have a hard time trusting myself and thus trusting others, I would suggest you go to see a counselor so that you can work on that and get better so that you can lead from a healthier place. I hope you're getting something out of today's episode. I know there's seven things that we're talking about and they're all pretty important. And there's a lot of scripture verses assigned to them. If you need the notes or you're looking for a little bit more information about what we're talking about today, don't hesitate to shoot me a text message. 615-492-2342. Shoot me a text message and I will gladly share with you the notes from this talk and anything else that you need to chat about. Also, take a minute and subscribe. You're on your phone right now. Just look down, hit the subscribe button, maybe hit the share button. Tag us on social media, B underscore R-E-W-S-T-E-R. I can't wait to hear the stories that come out of this podcast. Number four is your values drive your actions. All right, we got a little bit more time. So uh, your values drive your actions. If your organization does not have values, your organization is lost. If your if your team does not have values, so if your organization doesn't have values, then it's your responsibility to develop values for your team. If your team doesn't have values, maybe you need to create values for your family or your crew or whoever, however you roll. If that, if there's those values don't exist, maybe you just need to create values for yourself. Okay, now most churches get confused. They think that core beliefs and core values are the same thing. Okay, core beliefs are the things that we believe to be true, whether it's like theologically, philosophically, whatever. Core values are the rules of engagement that everyone is going to operate from, from the senior pastor to the first time volunteer. Okay, when you have clear values in your organization, you are able to make decisions so much faster and empower people so much quicker because we all share the same value system We know that uh, those values matter and we're going to make all of our decisions based around those values, okay? Your values drive your actions when you're in the fog, okay? Now, for some of you, you're like, I don't even know what a value is. So I'm gonna give you a couple examples really quick, okay? Maybe um, I worked at one church and one of our values was um, use your blinker. 
Now I say that and you're like, what does that mean? Our executive director was a firm believer that she could tell how well someone, how good of a leader someone was by how they drove, which if she followed me, she'd be like, you should never lead anything. But uh, we've already talked about this. And, uh, but she said that she could tell if somebody used their blinker, they were good at communication. And so we created a value called use your blinker. And any time there was a communication failure inside of our organization, we would be like, hey, wait a sec, we didn't use our blinker right here. Or, hey, I need to have a, a use your blinker conversation with you. You did this, nobody else knew you were doing this and it caused this problem. Right now, all of a sudden we have some language to attach to behavior because the, the truth is most people are not doing things just to be crazy, out of control, wild bananas. Okay? They're, they're doing that was when I was supposed to stop. Uh, they're doing what they're doing, what they think is best. And most of them probably don't have enough of a scope of the rest of the organization to be able to make clear and concise decisions. Figure out what your values are. If you're going to do a value as exercise for your organization or your personal life, do not have more than nine values. Try to get it down to three. Only one of them can be aspirational. Okay. A lot of organizations will be like, I'm going to get value. So they'll go grab values off the ARC website and Life Church's website and the code from Elevation. And they'll, and they'll be like, that's our values. And what you've just done is you've taken an original calling that God gave you for your community and you Frankenstein everybody else's calling on top of it. And then you figure out, you can't figure out why it doesn't work, right? Your organization has a culture already and it has values. You probably just haven't defined them yet. Okay, so... If you're going to create values, create, here, here's the, the basic, most easy way to do it. Get everyone in your organization together or on your team, if it's a volunteer team or whatever it is, right? Get your people together, break them up into teams of like three to six. Separate those teams in three to six and then ask them to take sticky notes and write down, when we are our best, we are blank, okay? They start writing one sticky note for each thing, okay? And then everybody gets done with that exercise in about 30 minutes. We're going to put all the sticky notes on this wall. Now, go back to your groups, write down when we are our worst, we are blank. Put all those sticky notes on that wall. Then you start to cluster the sticky notes together. And what you'll find is you've already, that will define the culture that already exists inside of your organization. Whether it's a fear-based culture, whether it's a freedom-based culture, whether it's about God's presence, whether it's about discipleship, whatever it is that your organization values will manifest itself on the walls. And the beauty is that most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, the stuff that's on the good negates the stuff that's on the bad. You'll also find where you've been living an aspirational leadership culture. So if you're like, we're a generous culture and nobody talks about generosity the whole time, you're not really that generous. It just looks good on the website. So, um, all right, number five, when you are leading through normal into next, you have to embrace the change. Okay. Embracing the change, again, sounds exciting. It's a lot more work than it appears. The truth is we all have a responsibility to continuously be adjusting or else the world will adjust us. If you look at, there's two prime examples of this in church culture right now. Churches that started talking about online giving five years ago, seven years ago, are, are, this is some stats that I'm coupling together, okay? So 
I can't give you an exact number. The, a disproportionate number of churches that have been teaching online giving for years are actually financially in a better place this year than they have been in any year up until this point. Costs have gone down. Giving has either remained the same or gone up because people are giving online and you don't have to buy everybody Chipotle after church. Okay, so, so boom. If you, you, if you made the adjustment a couple years ago that, hey, people use a credit card, they don't pass a plate and no one has a dollar anymore. You've adjusted, so now you don't get adjusted when a global pandemic happens and people can't come to church anymore and now there's no way to take their money. So that's just a basic, like, okay? The other one is online church, right? We all thought online church was cute, right? It was like, ah, we have an online campus and the one person on our staff that we didn't want to fire, we just made them the campus pastor for the online campus <laughs> because that's low level, low level destruction happens in that space, right? Until nobody can go to church anymore. And now that's the only way anybody ever gets to be a part of our church. If you're in communications or creative, like a year ago at this time, everyone on the entire staff joined your team, whether you invited them or not. Because we were forced to adjust. If you look at the churches that are thriving in an online culture, they started adjusting years ago. They understood the value of digital years ago. People say all the time that, that uh, Netflix put Blockbuster out of business. Netflix did not put Blockbuster out of business. If you actually think about it, Netflix was a more broken model than Blockbuster. You had to order a, a CD online. They would mail it to your house. You would watch it and mail it back. Is there a more dysfunctional business model than that? At least Blockbuster, I could call the guy and then run down to the store before somebody else got the video before I got there. What shut Netflix down, what shut Blockbuster down was the internet. Right? They didn't, they didn't adapt to the internet. Netflix was like, oh, people stream stuff. Let's stop sending these stupid CDs and wasting all our money. Let's build a server and send these movies out. Oh, that worked. People also say that taxi cabs got run out of business by Uber. No, they didn't. An app ran taxi businesses out of business, right? Because now instead of standing on the corner trying to get a taxi or calling like 6666666666, every city, it's the same number. <laughs> Right. Instead of doing that, now all I do is click the button and like five minutes later, a stinky car pulls up and I get to get some weirdo drive me somewhere. So like it's it's like but it but it's adjustment. If you're not adjusting, embracing change is about adjusting before you get adjusted. Right. You have the choice. You have the choice. And either one hurts. OK, adjustments hurt. If you go to the chiropractor and you get adjusted, it hurts. But then you feel better afterwards. If you don't go to the chiropractor and you just let the pain exist, eventually it gets really expensive and it may cost you a whole lot. As an organization and as a leader, you should always be looking for where, are we, where do we need to make the adjustment? What are we ending before it's time to end it? There's, there's, there, uh, I was, I don't remember, I don't remember where I was. This may have been this morning, okay? So if you just heard this in this session, I, I was listening to this guy and he was talking about um, when he was in business school, he, uh, he had a professor who would say, um, get off a, a sick horse before it dies. And he was talking about in business, if you're in a business and the business is, is, not, is getting sicker and sicker and sicker, get out of it before it dies. Okay. The same is true with adjusting before you get adjusted. 
great organizations forecast what's going to happen and start to make adjustments towards it, right? So if you waited until COVID happened to start an Instagram page, you probably haven't performed like stellarly over the last year, right? And so make sure that you're constantly making adjustments. In order to make adjustments and to embrace change, you have to take chances. You have to be bold. Um, You have to understand um, that the cost of, of failure is education. Church is one of the very few places where we fear failure more than we embrace it. You learn very, very little when you succeed. You learn a whole lot when you fail. Okay. And so when you can learn that failure is the cost of entry to get better, all of a sudden now you're able to do something. Right. But if you are afraid to make, if you're not going to be bold, you're not going to have courage. I mean, Joshua 1 9 talks all about being courageous. Like we have the ability and God's called us to be create, courageous as leaders. We have to understand that failure is the cost of entry for innovation. It has to happen. Okay. Um, the, 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 the beautiful thing about failure is that, um, that failure, none of your organizations or your personal lives, I can't say none of your personal lives because I don't know that to be true. Let me back up. None of your organizations and most of your personal lives are not so fragile that one or two big failures is going to do you in. Okay? But we think, especially if you're a church planner, because you remember those early days. I must have snoozed. Um, you, you remember those early days when you were just getting started and everything was fragile. But if you're here today and you were like able to take off of the other parts of your life to sit in this room for this conversation, your life's not that fragile. Okay. And if your life's not that fragile, you can actually take some chances and some risks. And the more risks and chances you take, the more you learn, the better you get. You start adjusting before you get adjusted. Okay. So that's what I want to challenge you guys to do. All right. Number uh, six, your example sets the tone as a leader. Um, First Peter chapter five, verse two and three. Uh, says, um, be shepherds of God's flock <clears throat> that, is un- that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to them. You set the tone. If the tone that you set is fear-based, your organization will be fear-based. If the tone that you set is based around insecurity, everyone in your organization will be insecure. If the tone that you set is full of vision, your organization will be full of vision. If the tone that you set is we're going to embrace failure, people are going to take crazy chances in your organization. In fact, it might scare you the chances they start to take in your organization. And that should scare you. Leadership should be really scary, right? If it's not scary, you're not leading. So you set the tone. If your organization is always afraid, you probably haven't set the tone of faith. If your organization um, is, is 
unwilling to invest resources for growth, you've probably created a mindset inside of your organization that we can't spend money to do things to grow. Okay? You set the tone as the leader. And again, whether you're the, the, the senior pastor, the CEO, or you're the person leading a volunteer team, or you're leading your own personal life, you're still leading. So in your personal life, if you're living your personal life afraid to take chances, that's what you're leading yourself to. Right now, God's wired us all differently. So we're all not going to be evil Knievel, okay? But you have to, as a, as a leader, if you, in any form of leadership, control and growth don't go together. You cannot control things and grow at the same time. You have to let go of control in order to grow. So if I'm going to live my life completely in a bubble, controlled, I'm probably not going to grow a whole lot. And if I don't take chances and stretch myself, I'm probably stuck, okay? So you have the responsibility to set the tone, whether you're setting it for your personal life or you're setting it for your $3 million organization, okay? Whatever it is, you're setting the tone. The other part of setting the tone is how you make other people feel says a lot more about you than it does about them, okay? So so if you want an amazing organization with an amazing culture, you build that. That doesn't happen on accident. That, you don't drift into amazing. You, you are intentional into amazing. How you make other people feel is one of the greatest equity builders of, of leadership. People will follow somebody that they don't know if they... Listen, think about it like this. How many times people are going to follow you for one of two reasons? They're going to follow you because they're inspired or because they're afraid. Okay. So they're either afraid of something you've said, something that you, a vision that you've cast. So, uh, you've, I don't know if, I might get in trouble for this. Uh, did, there was this, this thing on Netflix. It was the Waco, um, oh, yeah. David Koresh thing, right? That dude was crazy, right? But he convinced all of these people, fear-based leadership, that if they weren't in that house, they weren't going to heaven or wherever they were supposed to go. Um, and so- so, so he was able to create, he made them feel a certain way that motivated them to do something that most of us, if we were like, hey, you want to go to Texas and live in Waco with this dude that thinks he's Jesus? We're like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> like, I know I got to wear a mask a lot in Michigan, but I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm not going to go. Um, Texas is crazy, y'all. Yeah. I went to Texas a couple months ago. I walked into a church. There was like a thousand people there. I was the only person wearing a mask. <laughs> Swear to God. It was like a super spreader event. But, um, <laughs> but, but, but the truth is people are, people are inspired by, by how you make them feel. Okay. So you're either going to make them feel they're going to, they're going to follow you because they trust you and they believe in you, or they're going to follow you because they're afraid of what happens if they don't. Okay. And so the most unhealthy cultures that you've been in are probably because you're afraid you've been made to believe that, that, not being part of that will compromise the, the calling on your life, okay? And that's just, that's fear-based leadership, okay? Insecurity-based leadership. The places, the times that you've lived the best parts of your life, you're living it because you have so much vision in your life. You feel like you can do anything. You yeah. can take any chance. You can accomplish anything. And you know what? Even if we fail, it's going to be fun along the way. Yeah. And we're going we're gonna to kind of get there along the way, right? How you make people feel matter. And that's a big part of you setting the tone of being the example.
Okay. The last one, this one's got a lot of scriptures to it. Okay. But if you're going to be an amazing leader, you have to think about it from a kingdom mindset, not just an earthly mindset. Okay. Most of the time, the a kingdom mindset is completely countercultural to what makes sense. Okay. So if you think about the people that we've positioned as idols in leadership over the course of history, most of them probably don't carry this list. Um, because what the Bible says about leadership is the following. It says that you have to be humble. It says that in Luke 22, 26. It says that you have to set standards. That's Proverbs 16, 12. It says that you have to be honest. Shocking. If you're a leader, you have to be honest. Psalms 43, 3 says that. It says that you have to protect the people that are under your care. Psalms uh, 135.10. It says that you have to lead with mercy and compassion. That's Isaiah 49.10. It says that you need to seek knowledge. It says that in Matthew 15.14. It says that you bring peace everywhere you go. 1 Timothy 2.2. It says that you're respectful of others. 2 Timothy 2.16. It says that you work hard. Romans 12.8. It says that you respect so you work hard, Romans 12, 8. Most of us have worked in churches where like working hard, like that's the given at the door, right? Like we probably actually work overly hard. We probably work actually too much, which is funny because the Bible says that we should respect the Sabbath. And since, so, since that one um, truth seems so out of balance in most churches that I get to serve with, the work hard thing, oh, we're good at that at church. Respecting the Sabbath, Probably not as good at that. So I got a couple extra verses for you. Exodus 28 and, eight through, uh, and 9, Mark 2, 23 to 28, Matthew 2, 12, 12, 12, Romans 14, 5, Colossians 2, 16, 17. You didn't get all those, I know. I did it on purpose so that you would see what God thinks about rest. Because you're never a great leader if you're an unhealthy leader. And your health starts with rest. And so if you're not resting, if you're not refueling, if you're not recharging, you're not leading well, okay? Um, the Bible also says, and again, this is not me, this is the Bible. So if you choose to believe the Bible, then you have to believe the list. Um, seek advice, Proverbs eleven fourteen. Be faithful, Isaiah 16, 5. Be a servant, 1 Peter 5, 2. Be full of integrity and full of skill, Psalm 78, 72 and be prudent, Luke 14, 31. It's a lot of scripture that explains how we should lead when we're trying to figure out what normal looks like. But the truth is, if God already called you to it, you're already equipped for it. Because where, where you lack, he'll fill in. Okay? So that's, uh, we have like seven minutes to ask some questions. So again, I will send you my notes if you want them. I know I was all over the place because I was trying to go as fast as I could. I felt like an auctioneer. I was talking so fast. Um, you can text me your email address or you can uh, DM me your email address. Um, but is there any questions? Is there anything I can, I can answer for you guys today? And I do try to always, if I'm the, 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 the class right before lunch, I do try to let everybody go like three minutes early so you beat everybody else to lunch. Because I'm a three and I'm competitive. Yes, sir. You, you, you mentioned, I don't know if you remember, about being Brad. You said, um, 
if you were able to take off work today for this conference, your life is not. Your life's not so fragile that that you can't take a chance, right? So like, like if my whole life's falling apart, I'm probably not going to this conference. No offense to the conference, but like if my life's falling apart, I'm probably, it's too fragile for me to invest this time into this moment. But most of us, our problems are always bigger than our possibilities. And so we look at moments and we go, oh, I've got all these things going on. I've got this problem. I've got that problem. I got this financial situation. I've got this doctor thing, whatever, whatever, whatever. And we create this narrative of fragility in our life. When the truth is like, I'm a missionary kid. I grew up in Haiti. That's some fragility. Right. And so the life that we live in, I mean, we all have clothes on. We're about to eat lunch. I got two bottles of water. So I'll share one if you haven't had one in the last 24 hours. Like that's fragility, right? Our world's not that fragile. We've created this this myth that it's that fragile. It's not that fragile. It's not so fragile that we can't take a chance, especially if we're called to take a chance and the chance we're taking, we've we've bathed it in prayer beforehand. So that's that's what I meant by that. Mm -hmm. Let's go. So one of the things for me as a, as a, as a, I say a young leader is that I have a tendency to feel inadequate about what I believe that God is calling me to do. Sure. Right? Yep. Using, using the wisdom of God, how, how would you? Yeah. All right. So you, the, here's the truth. Even what you think you're, you're capable of doing, you don't know. So often we try to forecast so far in advance. Leaders are forecasting, right? So they're always thinking like, what's next? But I'm, when people ask me, what's your, your five-year plan? I'm like, bro, I'm lucky if I know what's happening in five minutes. Okay, so, so to, if I, if I would have told you five years ago, I'd be standing here doing this, I'd have missed out on this. And so, so often we, and, and, and it's a subconscious activity to distract us from what's in front of us right now. Okay, so the truth is, we're so worried about what's next that we don't actually steward what's now. If you want to be a great leader tomorrow, be a great leader today. Like lead today in a way that is like no one can ignore what you did today. Right. I I like college football. I, I like one specific team and I hate every other team. Okay, and and and, I, and I'm like adamant about it. Okay, I, like that's my crew. We were good in, for a little while. We haven't been good in a long time, but I'm still there. But what I love about college football is when you hear a college football coach talk, they talk about the progression of a season, right? So they know that when they have that first spring practice, their team's not very good. But then they get they hope to get better every week. And you watch the teams that become excellent get better every week to the place where they are competing for something major. The same principle is true in our lives. So much of us focus on when do I get to be the boss, but I can't even be the boss of what I'm responsible for today. And if I can't be that, then how am I going to get there, right? So I'm going to be great at today. I'm going to be great with this volunteer team. I had a volunteer team that was the most, it, we looked like the get along gang. Okay. It was, it was the, it would have been something that would have been on a sitcom. It was so bad. Okay. But if I can't steward that team, I can't steward a team full of all-stars. You got to control today. Dominate today. Dominate today. 
And then God will take care of tomorrow because you didn't get to today. If honestly, like God orchestrated you to be in today, he's going to take care of tomorrow. That's good. I appreciate that. But steward it. We got like time for one more question. Yes, ma'am. You got it. Go ahead. Uh, okay, I don't know how to ask the question really because I was sitting here like, okay, God, what am I supposed to say? What am I supposed to say? I'm just going to say it. Just say it. And then see, maybe you got, you got the answer for yourself. Okay, so I'm a nurse. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I work at nights. Yep. And I'm a part of the ministry in my church, but I'm not able to do all what I feel God wants me to do because of my current situation of working at nights and mm-hmm. my schedule. So I've been looking. For a job somewhat a few times. Mm-hmm. Nothing happened. My husband, my pastor, the church just prayed for me like a week or two ago for God to give me a job, the job, like a day shift. I want a day shift mm-hmm. job where I can be with my husband, be home at night, yeah. still be able to do what God wants me to do. Mm-hmm. You know, totally. Gifts to me. Yep. So I'm like, at a standstill. I'm like, but nothing's happened. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I don't know. So I will tell you, this is probably more spiritual than leadership based, but but the truth is, most of the time when we feel like nothing's happening, there's actually a lot happening, right? And so you're living in a moment right now where you don't see what's happening. But if you're praying about it and your, te- your, 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 your community's praying for you, God already knows what's going to happen. And, and what you have to trust is his desire is the greatest desire, right? And so you don't know who you might save one night, that he needs you there to save that person that night before he can move you to the day shift or to the other hospital or to the other doctor's office or to whatever. And so your responsibility is to be amazing every night. And then he's going to open up next because he knows the desires of your heart and he wouldn't have given you those desires if he didn't, <laughs> if that, he, you wouldn't have those desires if, they, if he didn't give them to you. And it's not like you're like, I just really need to chill. Like you want to be more involved with the church. You want to be more involved in your marriage. He's going to take care of that. There's no question. And we're all going to commit to praying for you that that happens. Okay. So now you got your team praying for you and all of us. Guys, thanks for coming and hanging out with me today. I hope it was valuable. Man, I hope this was helpful for you guys today. I hope it uh, resonated with you. Maybe it gave you some new ways to think about leadership. Maybe it helped you reframe this expectation to be normal and that it was very valuable to you. If it was, it would mean the world to me if you would share this on social media, if you would like it, comment, rate, do the things that we need to do to help share the story, to help share this podcast with more and more people. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. It means the world to me. And I look forward to hanging out with you next time.